The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's June 8th, and the time is 4.02, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Ian Grice. It's a nice Wednesday afternoon, and we've got a new promo for Eye on the Triangle. If you haven't already heard it, you probably will. Later in the show, we'll have the community calendar. As always, Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the film Pan's Labyrinth. And on KNC goes TMC, or rather ESPN. Jamie Halla has information on this week in sports, from Copa Americana to I'm sorry for sorry. From Copa Americana to Muhammad Ali. Saba Khan brings you an interview with a film student at NC State, co- crowdfunding a documentary exploring 14 national parks. And up next. Saif Hassan brings you news beyond the headlines. This week, he takes a look at a murder in Pakistan and in Austria, he, the contested election results. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your news beyond the headlines. Austria's far-right Freedom Party has lodged a legal challenge to the result of last month's presidential election, which it lost by a tiny margin. Its leader, Heinz Christian Strasch, said the way postal votes were handled was among numerous irregularities. We are not sore losers, he said. This is about protecting the foundations of democracy. The party's candidate was defeated by the former Green Party leader by just under 31,000 votes. The filing of the challenge was confirmed by Christian Newworth, a spokesman for Australia's constitutional court. The court now has four weeks to respond. If it takes the full four weeks, its findings will come just two days before the poll winner, Alexander van der Bellen, is due to be sworn in. The presidency is a largely ceremonial post, but a victory for the Freedom Party could have been a springboard for success in the next parliamentary elections scheduled for 2018. Mr. van der Bellen was declared the winner of the election the day after voting, with 50.3% of the vote against Mr. Hofer's 49.7%, despite the preliminary results placing the Freedom Party's Norbert Hofer slightly ahead. But the Freedom Party is alleging numerous irregularities in its 150-page submission to the Constitutional Court. Mr. Strasch says he has filed evidence that the postal ballots were illegally handled in 94 of 117 district election offices, reports say, suggesting that more than 570,000 ballots could have been affected by this. The party also claims it has evidence that under-16s and foreigners were allowed to vote. The extent of the irregularities is more than terrifying. That's why I feel obliged to challenge the result, Mr. Strasch said in a news conference. Police in the Pakistani city of Lahore have arrested a woman suspected of murdering her daughter for marrying without family consent. Police say the body of Zinat Rafiq shows signs of torture. She was doused with fuel and set alight. Her mother, Parveen, is accused of luring her back from her in-laws. It is the third such case in a month in Pakistan where attacks on women who go against conservative rules on love and marriage are common. Last week, a young schoolteacher, Maria Sadakat, was set on fire in Muri near Islamabad for refusing a marriage proposal. 
A month earlier, village elders near Abbottabad ordered the murder of a teenage girl who was burnt to death because she helped a friend elope. Zinat Rafiq, who was 18, had been burnt and there were signs of torture and strangulation, police told BBC Urdu. A post-mortem may establish if she was alive when she was set on fire. The police superintendent said officers were looking for her brother who was on the run. Her mother was found in the house with the body. Her mother has confessed to the crime, but we find it hard to believe that a 50-year-old woman committed this act all by herself with no help from the family members, the superintendent said. Ms. Rafiq and her husband, Hassan Khan, married a week ago through the courts after eloping. They went to live with his family. When she told her parents about us, they beat her so severely she was bleeding from her mouth and nose, Mr. Khan told BBC Urdu. Nearly 1,100 women were killed by relatives in Pakistan last year in so-called honor killings, the Independent Human Rights Commission of Pakistan says. Many more cases go unreported. Violence against women by those outside the family is also common. Najam Yudin, a joint director of the HRCP, said that societal attitudes had not changed in line with greater education and freedom for young women. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Hey Wolfpack, my name is Sabah Khan, and today I'm interviewing a student that will be living the ultimate summer adventure and honing in his filmmaking skills in the process. Today we have James with us. Hi, my name is James. I am a senior uh, at NC State currently in communications media, and um, I'm going into my last semester, so it's exciting. I'm about to graduate. So he's going to be one of the filmmakers on his team, which is called The Bus. And together, they will be traveling to 12 national parks spanning 8,000 miles in a period of eight weeks this summer. So tell us more about what The Bus is. Right. So um, my friend Rob Jones actually started The Bus last year. Um, and basically, he his premise behind it is being able to do like humanitarian volunteering work and mixing that with traveling. And um, he wanted to make a film for this one. Cool. So let's delve deeper into your motivation for doing such an expansive trip. And tell me about the cause. I know the motto your website is going by is find your nature. So what does that exactly mean? Uh, Man, find your nature has a lot of different meanings for me personally. Just like for this opportunity to travel around and uh, be together with the outdoors, I think will help me find who I am through an organic process. So, you know, just to experience that, you know, going out of your comfort zone and um, really taking on a big challenge is something that will just add on to myself. So what is exactly the impact that you want to make by doing this documentary? I want to, for this film, be able to spread this to um, a mass amount of people and have it like touch a note with certain people that are hesitant to I guess, do something sort of like this. Mm -hmm. But uh, to see that it's possible is um, one thing that I I hope that people will take away from it. Right. So you want to inspire people to have their own adventure and not be fearful of getting out of their comfort zones. But going off that, I saw on your website another goal is to show that it's possible to find a meaningful path that also pays the bills. So how are you going to do that with the film? I think... Just following your heart is something that I know that Rob is a big advocate for. But he has, like, a bigger vision, and so do we. And I think uh, in terms of that, if we 
are able to pull this whole project off with authenticity and uh, with a passion. You know, I think that will strike a chord and be able to progress further um, after the film is done. Cool. <laughs> I, I guess uh, in terms of paying the bills, I think that's something that we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, for me, filmmaking is something that I um, want to be able to pay the bills with. So this is just like one step into that direction. So as the director of the documentary, what are some things that are going to be challenging when filming with, you know, national parks as your backdrop? Yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge for sure. You know, I'm mostly doing filmmaking around the city and um, it's a different style um, altogether. As director, have you kind of decided the angle of the documentary that you're going to be going for or like, you know, the tone of what you're going to be wanting to show to people? Yeah, this is overall a film project. Um, We hope to bring not only just a beautiful piece afterwards when all is said and done, but also spread a message that is bigger than just our trip in this film. I think for us millennials, it's a big concern about how we use technology. Is it, Are we going to use it to dig ourselves to a deeper hole, or are we going to let that uplift us and strive to do more and think and expand to bigger ideas? And I think the choice is clear in this for us, that we see the future that has bright spots for us millennials to take action rather than just watching what other people are doing online. So going on this adventure, you're going to have a lot of unpredictable things happen within the 8,000 miles you're going to cover. And that's like going from, you know, Acadia National Park in Maine all the way down to Dry Tortugas in Florida. So are you fearful of anything, you know, potentially life-threatening happening or, you know, your car breaking down? Or what are some obstacles you're most worried about for a trip like this? I don't have too much of a fear in terms of physically. Those things are like out of my control. I think my concern and what I want to focus on in the trip is to make sure that we have, you know, a flowing story. We capture everything and we're on point and focused on our tasks throughout the whole trip. Also, you know, those unpredictabilities such as, you know, the van may fall out or like we run out of food, which hopefully doesn't happen. (laughs) But I mean, those little things are just all part of the journey. So So, like, those type of things happening adds to it rather than takes away from it. Exactly. My personal role is something that I have to hold up. I think we're just going to let the a lot of the events talk for itself. We definitely want to have, like, really good um, scenic footage just to take advantage of the moment and our time being there. We're going to take really good care of those types of beauty shots. We want to get um, a lot of those. Awesome, yeah, and we look forward to seeing it. So where can we get more information on the documentary and the trip itself? Our website is findyournature.org. We're doing uh, Indiegogo generosity crowdfunding. We've already raised a good amount, and we're just we're so happy with the support that people have been showing us. We hope to keep, keep moving towards our goal. And uh, so, yeah, put the word out there. We wish James and the members of the bus the very best on their travels to 12 national parks in eight weeks spanning 8,000 miles. This has been Sabah Khan for Eye on the Triangle. Good afternoon. This is Jamie Holla, and this week we'll be going ESPN as I discuss the week in sports. First off the pitch is the Copa America Centenario, taking place across various cities in the United States right now. The Copa America Centenario is a soccer tournament featuring 10 teams from the CONMEBOL, aka the South American Soccer Federation, and 6 teams from the CONCACAF, which is the North American Soccer Federation. The United States team is in Group A, which features Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. 
The U.S. men's team has already played two games so far in the tournament, one against Colombia and another against Costa Rica. The United States faced a disappointing loss to the Colombian side of 2-0 over the weekend. Many fans and pundits were critical of U.S. coach Jurgen Klinsmann and his decision to not play certain players or use players in the normal position. However, he regained his position in the good graces of the U.S. as the team defeated Costa Rica 4-0 Tuesday night in a dominating victory over the Costa Rican side. Things are looking up as the U.S. faces Paraguay on Saturday and just has to either tie or win and they will advance to the next round, along with Colombia, who has already secured their spot by winning both of their games. Goal scorers for the U.S. were the perennial favorite Clint Dempsey, the veteran Jermaine Jones, the young star Bobby Wood, and Graham Zussi in the fickling minutes of the game. To the court, the NBA Finals are in full swing this week as the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors face off for the second year in a row. Things are looking a bit rough for the Cavaliers this time around as they are losing the series two games to none and have not given the Warriors any trouble in the first two games, losing both by over 20 points. Even more impressive is the fact that the Warriors are beating the Cavaliers without much help from Steph Curry, scoring just 29 points in both games combined. Instead, the Warriors have had a lot of help from the bench and role players including Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, and Draymond Green, who scored 28 points the last game, including five three-pointers. LeBron James has done well enough in the finals, but has been producing more turnovers than average. The problem with the Cavaliers is that they haven't been producing nearly enough offense. The team has struggled to find open shots and finding matchups to their favorites, as some of their athletes, um, Kevin Love, just aren't nearly as athletic as the Warriors. Speaking of Kevin Love, he got bonked in the head by Harrison Barnes the other night on accident, which resulted in Love concurring a concussion and will not be playing in tonight's game as a result. Many believe this could be beneficial for the Cavaliers as Love has struggled greatly in this series, but we do hope he does get better from his concussion. The series will resume tonight at 9pm in Cleveland as the Cavaliers look to win one game and remain hopeful in this series. On a more somber note, boxing and American legend Muhammad Ali passed away over the weekend at the age of 74. Throughout his life, Ali was regarded as a legend and hero by many athletes, activists, and much more. He was and still is a true American hero who fought for what he believed in and won a great many boxing matches too, definitely cementing his place in American history as one of the greats. Rest in peace, Muhammad Ali. This has been Jamie Hall with Island Triangle. Have a good week. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Island Triangle. This is Snow. That was Jake Winters. Well, I'm Ian Grice with Eye on the Triangle. Uh, as Jamie went into uh, national sports, I thought I'd speak a little bit on local sports. Uh, NC State's baseball season ends with a 7-5 to loss to Coastal Carolina, and that takes us out of the uh, Raleigh Regional of the 2016 NCAA Division I Men's Baseball Champions. Uh, in the Raleigh Regionals, uh, NC State had beaten Navy, uh, and then they had lost to Coastal Carolina in a previous game as well. Up next is Jake Winters with Snow Raiden, and he'll be doing his review of Pan's Labyrinth. Overrated, and today we'll be taking a look at the film Pan's Labyrinth. Written by Guillermo del Toro and released in 2006, this film portrays fairy tales and the innocence of a belief in them in a way that is unlike any other I have seen. There are movies that exaggerate the childish aspects of fairy tales, like Shrek, and there are television shows that emphasize the drama in them. But Pan's Labyrinth chooses to emphasize the brutality and vulgarity of them. Some of the monsters in fairy tales, if represented as they are described, would be repulsive. Warts, 
bugs the size of your fist and eyes that are in your hands. Pan's Labyrinth does not shy away from gore either. There are a lot of deaths in old fairy tales, and the film shows them in full detail. This, along with the setting of the end of World War II, creates a film that I would call a tragic fairy tale. This movie is widely known and won three Oscars, which sets it apart from the films I try to highlight in this review. I generally attempt to find movies unknown to the majority of people, but this is an exception. This movie turned 10 on May 27th of this year, and it has aged very well. Even with the use of CGI, it does not look to me like a film from 10 years ago. This is one of the best examples of a film that has so much style that the quality of CGI does not really affect it. Many times, a bad movie will attempt to liven up the screen with CGI only to make it blatantly obvious that they have no idea how to integrate CGI into their movie. This happened a lot during the time period where CGI was a newer technology and that makes sense. The CGI of Payton's Labyrinth is a good example of how to use CGI. Only use it where you need it. We are getting to the point in technology where it is very hard to tell CGI from reality. One example being Ex Machina. The CGI in that movie is almost indistinguishable from reality, even though what you see is very far from reality. This use of CGI, in my opinion, should be avoided because nothing can trump practical effects in makeup. The makeup artists that worked on Pan's Labyrinth ended up winning an Oscar for their work, and deservedly so. The creatures in the movie are fascinating and creative. Every time the fawn is on screen in the movie, I notice little details in his design that I hadn't seen before. The horns and the hooves that represent the devil and his captivating gaze that is only enhanced by the detail in his eyes. The movie truly would not be the same, or likely even be as successful, without the makeup and costume design. The movie tells two stories, one about war and the other about the imagination of a child. A child's imagination never stops, not even in the face of one of the most terrible wars to ever happen. Guillermo del Toro realized this and exploited it. The girl is in a situation that most adults have no preparation for, but it is her reality. What can she do? So she escapes her reality with books and fairy tales. The juxtaposition of this fairy tale world with the war highlights how different the worlds that men and children live in are. Both are bloody, because that is a reality for both men and children in war, and both have outrageous characters as you could expect from both as well. But one is whimsical and forgiving, while the other is cruel and harsh. Honestly, I don't think I have seen a beating in a movie that is more gruesome than as in Pan's Labyrinth. It is the stuff of nightmares. I don't want to go into too much detail, but the two storylines play off each other extremely well right up until the conclusion of the movie. I will admit I was very disappointed with how it ended at first, and then was pleasantly surprised when I realized how it was actually going to be ended. I'm going to give this movie a 9.5 out of 10. It's honestly one of the best movies that I've seen. It's like an orchestra where the actors, directors, and costume designers all have separate and equally important roles. Pan's Labyrinth doesn't forget any aspect that makes a movie great. No holes in the story, no bad costumes, no bad scoring, no bad shots. Of course every shot is not perfect, and I don't even think I could claim to know if it was, but the movie is enjoyable and beautiful at the same time as being gruesome and disturbing. I hope you enjoy Pan's Labyrinth as much as I did. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snow Verated. I'm Jake Winters, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. The time is 421, and I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Ian Grice. 
Uh, for this week's community calendar, the NC State Awards for Excellence will be held Tuesday, June 14th from 2 to 4 p.m. in the ballroom at Tally Student Union. The NC State Awards for Excellence is the most prestigious honor bestowed upon non-faculty employees. The NC State University Awards for Excellence ceremony will honor 47 recipients at the college division level and name the top five winners who will go on to compete at the governor's level. You can celebrate with staff and faculty. Uh, all are welcome to attend. A reception will follow the award ceremony. This Sunday, June 12th, the North Carolina Art Museum will be holding a lecture called Reflections on an Island and a Painter. Final thoughts on a four-year project at 2.30 p.m. in the East Building in the SECU Auditorium. Curator John Coffey looks back on his experiences on Appledore Island while researching the painter Child Haslam for the American Impressionist exhibit. This Saturday, June 11th, in the Witherspoon Student Center, there will be a screening of the film Jimmy Vest Vood at 3 p.m. This comedy follows an Iranian immigrant who comes to America in hope of becoming an American hero. This event is hosted by the NC State Iranian and Persian Student Association. Tomorrow, Thursday, June 9th, the Natural Science Museum is holding an event called Science Cafe Candid Creatures, led by Dr. Roland Kays. Dr. Kays will use pictures and stories from his new book and his own research to show how science, scientists use camera t traps to help understand how an animals and humans can share the planet. This will include a trip to Mount Kenya, following a trail of Teddy Roosevelt's historic expedition, and local discoveries made by citizen scientists running camera traps in their own backyards here in North Carolina. Signing of the book of his new book, Candid Creatures, will follow in the cafe. I hope they don't really take you all the way to Kenya. <laughs> Mount Kenya. Uh... In local election news, a U.S. Republican Representative George Holding defeated Rep Representative Renee Elmers in the congressional primary. Holding defeated Elmers by 30 percentage points, and she took second place by less than a percentage point over Greg Brannon. Five Democrats also competed in the primary, with John P. McNeil winning about 46% of the vote. Both Holding and McNeil will go on to the November election. This uh, election represents a more conservative uh, GOP uh, candidate taking over uh, Renee Elmers. At least that was the way that the election was perceived. Uh, both uh, candidates raised in the millions of dollars um, from uh, different groups. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week here, right on right here on WKNC. I'd like to thank our, contrib our contributors, Jake Winners, Saif Hassan, and Jamie Halla, and Saba Khan. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan, wishing, wishing you all a Wednesday, amazing Wednesday afternoon. <laughs>